Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning everyone, good morning saunterers, welcome to another beautiful day in my back garden and the robin is giving it large and he's so shrill isn't he but he's gorgeous so we're going to pray lord help us today speak to us come into our garden come into our home come into our hearts fill us lord and let our days be full of your glorious presence in your precious name amen so we're in chapter 17 today and This is, again, really some very challenging stuff from Jesus. It's hard to read the Gospels and end up with this very conveniently cosy version of Jesus because he's pretty tough and he's pretty rugged and some of the stuff he says is hard to hear and it's actually, we need to process it and think about it and let it shape our hearts and become, so that we become true disciples. Good morning, Fran. And so he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Now, the word there for temptation is translated stumbling block in some translations, and it literally means like a trap, like a snare that an animal springs and is then caught and held until they meet their death, or sometimes it kills them instantly, but usually it just kind of stops them being able to move fills them with pain and they're stuck until the hunter comes and kills them but he says that there there are these traps there are these snares that that trap us into sin and they're in our lives they're all around us there are things that just by virtue of being human um they they these temptations are there but he says woe to the one who through whom they come so if we perhaps intentionally trap people or ensnare people or lead them astray and get them into difficult you know bad making bad decisions and this kind of thing and lead them into sin there's woe is a special kind of anger from God reserved for people who do that who get other people lead other people into sin and he says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung round his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin And so I think Jesus has got a special kind of jealousy towards children and people who are vulnerable in their faith and new believers. And he's saying, there's God, you know, you guys who lead these little ones astray, you're going to be in big trouble with God. Woe to you. And of course, he's also talking to the Pharisees and the, um, you know, the 
the lawyers who make the law so difficult and make life so restrictive that following God becomes, you're put off it by all the kind of legalism and regulations, everything else that are kind of imposed on you by these religious rulers. And Jesus, I think, is reserving a particular kind of wrath for them really and so he but then he talks to us as disciples and he says pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins rebuke him and if he repents forgive him and if he turns against you sorry if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying I repent you must forgive him so Jesus is saying right there is a place for us to confront our brother and to say actually bro that hurt me what you did then was wrong or that was actually against God what you did then. That you know, I'm I'm concerned for you. This is a this is a dangerous path you're treading. There's a need for us sometimes to have those conversations with each other. But then when the brother repents or sister repents, we say, I forgive you, we move on, we don't keep talking about it. I often say when we know when we've forgiven someone, when we don't have to talk about it anymore, we don't have to keep bringing it up, it's over and done with. <clears throat> We don't have to tell people, oh, I forgave so-and-so. We don't have to. We don't have to go there. It's over and finished and done. But he says, you might need to do that seven times in one day, but keep going. Be consistent. Stay up to date on forgiveness. And really, watch yourselves really is a way of saying, actually, there is a trap for you who are trying to be disciples. If you allow unforgiveness to develop in your heart or to build up a kind of there's a whole kind of list of things that I'm upset about and I haven't forgiven, that can be a trap to me. And so I can become ensnared in a trap which takes me out of enjoying God, enjoying his presence, and it makes me grumpy and sour and bitter. And guess what? I'm stuck in a trap. And we do see that. And a lot of what we do as pastors and um, shepherds of God's people is help them to walk in forgiveness, to, to actually become skillful and speedy at forgiving. Right. Verse five. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure they're thinking, God, this is really hard. This is difficult to keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. And so he's, they say, forget, um, sorry, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. And I think what Jesus is saying is actually you don't need a lot of faith. You just need to get on with it and believe that I've given you this ability and this grace. Good morning, Dave. Good to see you. And Kathy and Fran. So the apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord said to, uh, um, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Verse 7, will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because what he did because he did what was commanded so you also when you have done all that you were commanded say we are unworthy servants we have done what was our duty now jesus is kind of flipping the story on its head because 
Good Morning Pat and Mike because in chapter 11 he talked about the master coming home having been to a wedding and coming home and finding his servants up waiting for him he then gets them to sit down and feeds them and Jesus is kind of saying like what what are you expecting you are servants what out of God are you wanting God to kind of pat you on the head all the time and say well done well done well done and but actually there is a sense that these both are true we're servants just serving him is enough but actually he loves us as well and he does invite us to come to the table and sit down while he ministers to us so kind of like they're both true but it's quite helpful sometimes when we get a bit high and mighty and and puffed up and think we're really important as a minister of the gospel or a servant of God actually the word there is servant the preachers the evangelists the the prophets, the apostles, the church administrators, the ones who deal with the money, we're servants, actually. And if we do a good job, well, we, we're just doing what was required of us. So come on. But sometimes it is really nice when the master says, well done, you're doing great. And those times when sometimes the prophetic word comes from somebody who doesn't even know us and it encourages so much encourages us so much because we realize actually God is seeing and God is pleased and in the book of Hebrews it says God is not going to forget your labor born out of love so it's, it's kind of a whole picture it's helpful for us to keep ourselves ground root you know well and truly feet on the ground actually we are his servants and we're just doing what actually he's commanded us to do good morning John and Joan hope you're well Right, so then on the way, verse 11, to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance, for obvious reasons, and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Wow, that is amazing. So, he hasn't got near them, he hasn't touched them, although he did touch a leper, I think, in the previous story, if I remember correctly. Um, but on this occasion, they're over there, standing from a distance, observing social distancing because they're contagious or believed to be. Jesus, They, they yell at Jesus and they literally, Master, heal us. And he says to them, go, just go. Go and show yourself. So you're, we're going to miss out the the part of the bit where I put my hands on you and pray for you and say some words and send you off I'm just going to cut to the chase go straight to the priest that's that was part of the requirement was that they would show themselves to the priest and the priest would verify them healed give them a clean bill of health and they could be integrated back into society so Jesus is saying right just go show yourselves to the priest and they, as they went, they were cleansed. So literally in their going, God is moving. And sometimes when God heals us and does a miracle in our lives, we have to actually action it and get up and start to do something we couldn't do before or go and put it to the test. And then in that kind of act of obedience, there's healing. Now I saw a couple of people being healed yesterday which was really cool on a Skype call which was really really fun and God is good isn't he and his power is 
able to leap over continents via Skype into Pakistan of all places. Would you believe it? So cool. And then, where are we? So, then verse 15, Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. Now some versions say your faith has made you whole, implying that he not just was cleansed of leprosy, but he had his fingers returned and his digits that had been eaten away by his horrid disease restored. I can't imagine the others didn't. I would imagine if Jesus was healing them, they all got healed pretty completely. But they were cleansed. This this guy, he suddenly thinks, crikey, I'm healed. This is amazing. He, I think even before he's gone to the priest, he's looking at himself thinking, do you know what? I am actually healed. I'm going to go back and start thanking this this guy who's healed me because it's just polite, isn't it? Leave alone giving glory to God. If someone's done something lovely for you, you want to say thank you. We really do need to hear this message, guys. When we pray for something and God answers our prayer, God gives us what we've requested, even if it's on behalf of somebody else, we need to really celebrate it and tell of his wonders and tell the story because this is actually all part of the praise and glory that Jesus deserves. And it's really, really good. And it also is part of that testimony. The word gets round. God is in the house. God is healing people. And people start to show up to find Jesus. So uh, someone once said, a testimony not shared is glory that belongs to Jesus, not getting to him. So let's make sure we make the glory get to Jesus. Get the honour. The glory is the honour and acknowledgement and the recognition that he's done it. So, right, verse 20. Um, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered, then the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, or some translations say, by your careful or even overcritical scrutiny and observation. Nor will they say, look, here he is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is really interesting. He, Jesus is saying something like, you want to be able to measure this kingdom, and you want to see an army go out and defeat the Romans, and you want something that kind of makes it to the history books and all the rest of it. But actually, the kingdom of God is among you, is with in the midst of you is it's literally like here I am right here in this room or in this open place teaching you I am bringing the kingdom of God right now into your midst um it's like ah uh, let's imagine right there's a funeral and there's a whole bunch of very very sad people they're dressed in black and suddenly the person sits up in the coffin and is alive again, completely restored, jumps out and starts shaking everybody's hand, right? Joy has come, hasn't it? 
So joy is in the midst of these people and it's now infectious and it's spreading through this whole funeral party. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm the kingdom of God. I'm right now dispensing the kingdom of God among you. This influence, this thing that you can see and touch, this this thing, this power, this uh, thing that's healing your families and making your elderly relatives up and well. This is the kingdom of God. And he says, um, but these guys are there like critical and they've got all these measures that they're going to measure it by to check if it's kosher and everything else. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will look and not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Let's just pause there a second. Right, Jesus is saying, listen guys, you, you're loving this stuff. You're here, you're seeing me do all these things. You've got my physical presence among you. You can see the kingdom of heaven advancing. You can see lives change. You can see, just, can you imagine those days where you're in a crowd and Jesus literally heals everybody who's sick in the whole crowd. It's like going into a hospital and discharging everybody in one go because they're all well and saying off you go home. Now wouldn't that be incredible? Well these disciples were literally seeing that in real time. Luke, the um, the writer of this gospel, is seeing, he's recording these things in real time. And Jesus is saying there's going to come a time when you would love to see this stuff, where you'd love to just have one day with me like this. But you'll, it won't be there it, because what he's not saying is because I'll have gone. I'm, I'm actually leaving you. But there is this, he's not kept that a secret for, from them, has he? But he's saying, and, and the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the, of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And then he said there are going to be people saying, look over here or look over here. It's what you what you were hoping for it's what you were believing for is this you know the messiah's come and he says do not go out or follow them for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other so will the son of man be in his day now what he's doing there i believe and the commentators seem to agree that jesus is talking about his final return so the coming of the lord and he's saying this last day on the son of man's day which is going to be his day isn't it, it he's not going to happen in he's not going to arrive in secret on the paris metro in a carriage underground and nobody knows who he is literally it's going to be like lightning flashes across the sky and we we were just um, watching a lightning storm the other day out of our bedroom window and the way it's so visible even when it's right over there the lightning is so bright it it illuminates the whole sky and it throws everything into this sort of sharp contrast black and white and and it's the, the lights are super light and the darks are super dark because it casts this and he said this is what it's going to be like everybody's going to see the Son of Man, when he comes. It's not going to be a little secret event that you hear about. You'll see it. This is really important. 
But first, verse 25, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Well, he was certainly about to be rejected by the generation that he was living among. Sadly, I think a lot of our generation in the West are rejecting him even now, aren't they? And there's all kinds of things we can say about that, but it is, you know, it's it's really tough. But he says, first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Then he says, verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in, mar given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulphur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is in the housetop, on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you that that, that night, that in that, sorry, I tell you in that night there will be two in one bed and one will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Now, people have preached lots and lots and lots of sermons on this little passage and the corresponding ones in the other Gospels. And it's kind of interesting. And <clears throat> that I think the point that the, the point that is clear to make from it is that there will be a degree of complacency and normality about life when Jesus returns. And the normal things that people do, like go to bed, get married, um, eat and drink, <clears throat> buying and selling, planting and building, all of these things are going to be going on pretty much as normal. Now, Jesus used the description of himself sometimes of his return being like a thief coming in the night when we don't expect it. So if we knew the thief was coming, we'd be ready. We'd make sure we were there with our baseball bat to cosh him on the head and, or her, <laughs> it's assuming um, female burglars are out there doing their thing. And, and so... Jesus, what Jesus is saying, we won't necessarily, we're not going to, it's not going to be in the papers, it's not going to be heavily trailed by the news reporters, oh, coming up shortly, Jesus has returned, don't miss it, be ready, that's not going to be the, probably, what's the culture of the day, he's saying actually it'll be a degree of complacency, normal life, and then the Son of Man will return, and this is uh, both kind of challenging oh well it is challenging and it it means that the way we live day to day really must have that sense of wow any time Jesus could return when I look at the state of the world I think man there's so many people who don't believe in Jesus just yet we really need to do our job better in getting him into the lives of people people coming to him but 
Um, the other things that are more difficult are whether this refers to a rapture where Christians are taken up out of the earth um, on a particular day just prior to that um, and some are taken and some are left and there's been a whole lot of preaching and teaching and movies and all sorts made about that but um, the sense I think which is clear is we need to be ready we need to be ready and even people who we've worked with and been close to and maybe even shared a bed with some of those will not be received by Jesus into his eternal kingdom and, and lost and that's the point so it's the picture of the flood and the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and even that that little warning there remember Lot's wife what was her crime she was being rescued by God from the judgment that was going to come on those evil cities but she was so tied into the lifestyle that she couldn't bear it and the angels had said to her do not look back said to Lot and his daughters and his wife do not look back just keep running for the hills she looked back and in that moment God's judgment hit her as well and, and God was like saying well if you want to stay you can stay but you get what they're getting and so there is I think this is why it's difficult sometimes to read the Gospels because Jesus actually spoke of judgment. He spoke of an end. He spoke of his return. He spoke of a separation between people who have loved him and followed him and people who don't. Not just in this life, having made a different life choice, but actually affecting forever and ever. Wow. Jesus, we invite you today, just speak to us and make these things real to us. Let them not just be fanciful notions in an ancient book, but let them be living realities for us today. In your precious name, amen. Have an amazing day, everyone. God bless you. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden, and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops, and, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it, because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.